There you go. All right, Job. Job is helpful and productive, that's right. We have heard from everybody we need to hear from. It is time to, uh, time to wrap all this stuff up, and that's actually really good news because uh, the wrap-up is, is very important for one reason. It keeps your perspective in line. And what I mean by that is I, I listened to someone who shall remain nameless many, many years ago, explained that the entire purpose of the book of Job was to get to this last chapter to explain to you that God wants to give you double. <laughs> and I was just like, you missed it by, like, that much, you know? <laughs> as far as the east is from the west, that's as far away as you are from the actual point of this. But, did everything that happened in this book happen for a reason ordained by God? Yes. What was the goal of that work that God was doing? Now, this is the tricky part. You ready? <laughs> what is God's ultimate accomplishment in everything? Glorifying himself, building up of his kingdom, strengthening of his people for the work of that kingdom. Has that not happened? Yes. It is God who rules. God who works, God who redeems, God who accomplishes. This is going to be wrapped up in the conclusion here and explain this. So this feels weird to actually look at that screen now and actually see verses. I haven't seen that in a few weeks, so I don't know, almost don't know how to act. So this will look like what our normal sermons look like as we actually go through verses and not chapters. We, are we going to know how to handle this? Because I'm not sure I do, actually. <laughs> it's been, yeah, you got to get it all figured out. So with all that said, let's dive into verse 1. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Anytime someone has answered anybody, has it ever been good? No, so prepare yourself. Verse 2. I know you, that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Yay! We did learn something. That whole repentance thing from the previous chapters has actually taken hold. Has taken hold. This is good. This is a hallmark of understanding who God is. Things like Isaiah 14. The Lord of hosts has planned. Who can frustrate it? As for his stretched out hand, who can turn it back? This is something that's built upon by Jesus in his ministry, Matthew 19. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, Who then can be saved? And by the way, the reason they're astonished is because apparently people don't read Job. Because culturally, who do we always assume the most blessed people are? The ones who have everything. So the apostles are looking at the world going, well, of course he's going to enter the kingdom of God. Look at everything that God has done for him. He is rich and he is well provided. The, the Lord has smiled upon him. If he, can be sa if he can't be saved, then we're all doomed, right? Because God hates me. Look at my life. I mean, <laughs> compared to what he's got, I mean, what did I do wrong, you know? Looking at them, Jesus said to them, with people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Now, this should be a real good comfort and something you should understand about Job. If I plopped you down, say, Job chapter 20, anybody making it out of this book alive? <laughs> anybody making it out of this book without facing the judgment of God? The impossible has happened. Job has repented. Job has trusted. Job has altered his perspective on life, not because of his friends, not because of Elihu, but because of his understanding of who God is and what he has done. So Job continues. Who is this, talking about himself, that hides counsel without knowledge? 
Therefore, I have declared that which I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Hear now, and I will speak. I will ask you, and you instruct me. Now, notice this real quick. Job get any of his complaints answered? Any of them. Any of them. Did, did God answer a single question or a single complaint? No, no, he did not. What has changed for Job? An understanding not of God in his life, but of his life run and ruled by God. Remember, Christian, your perspective on this place matters. You cannot understand the world and try to explain God with you as the starting point. You make a terrible deity. In case nobody's ever told you that before, you are a terrible deity because you're probably a worse person, okay? Probably, I don't know everyone. Therefore, you don't understand this place based on you. You understand this place based on God. You understand you in light of him, not the other way around. Now, do that. The sufferings of your life can make sense. Again, what is God doing? Glorifying himself, building up his kingdom, building up his people for the work of his kingdom. See your sufferings, see your difficulties, see your hardships in that light. You can then put them in perspective because you are understanding how you fit into the work that God is doing and has accomplished. Nothing has changed in Job's life. He is still sitting around the campfire in his morning, scraping boils off of himself. But his attitude has changed because he has seen himself in light of God's work rather than try to see God in light of his own accomplishment. This is where you're always supposed to rest, Christian. Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. By the way, that understanding doesn't go away in the Old Testament. This is, again, what Paul gets to build on in things like Ephesians 4. So I say this and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, to practice of every... every English, right? The practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. You did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. What's happening to this present world? It is passing away. Why? Because what does sin corrupt? Everything. Not some of it. All of it. Notice the distinctions here. Why do they walk in the ignorance of their mind? Because of the hardness of their heart. You want to change your life. You have to change the way you think about the world. If you want to change the way you think about the world, you have to change the heart and what it desires in this world. This is, again, Christian, why we can rejoice in something as bad as Job's speeches throughout this book. For as far as Job went, why didn't he go off the cliff? Why not? God wouldn't let him. God held him. God steered him. 
God guided him. Did we get him where he needed to be? Yes. Yes, not us. Yes, he did. Job has landed where he is supposed to be because he is of God. Again, why is Job upright and blameless in all of his ways? Because he's just such an awesome guy who never made a mistake? I mean, my goodness. If you ever meet that guy, run. He's not real. (laughs) No, Job is like that because he has been redeemed by God, rescued from his sin, and set on a path of righteousness by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason you are where you are. It's the only reason he is where he is. It's the only reason anybody will ever be where they will ever be that is any good. That is the hedge. Not the hedges that we try to build, not the rules that we try to make. The hedge is the Spirit. The hedge is the work of God carrying his people to his good end. Again, what is he doing? Glorifying himself, building his kingdom, preparing his people for the work of his kingdom. Which means once you're in, he is now preparing you for that work that you will do because you are in. That's why Job never went too far. That's why Job was not lost, because God was at work in him. And again, did that work work? Job spent how many chapters saying what about himself? What was Job's critique of life in himself? That I'm good and everything that has happened to me is wrong. This is bad because I have been treated unjustly. God shows up and Job says, what about himself? My bad. (laughs) You know, I I thought I was really good at this and I thought I was just awesome, but I'm going to go sit in the corner and and shut up. uh, My bad. (laughs) Because he now recognizes what? I'm not good. That God is good that it is not my righteousness that carries me, that it is his accomplishment. Therefore, Job needs to suffer because Job needs to be purified. Again, if you have anything in your life that is pulling you away from God, what is the most loving and gracious thing that God could do for you? To take it. To take it from you, break it in front of you, and make sure you never want to play with that thing ever ever again. That's been Job's mind. That's been his problem. And again, how did he get to the place where he recognized that he is a sinner in need of grace, and he is not the end-all, be-all of human righteousness? He got there by seeing what? God rightly. Understanding that it is not his work that has been accomplished, but it is God's work that has been accomplished. And now asking that God instruct him, that God guide him, that God mark his paths. You know, something like Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. In other words, do not lean on your own understanding and do not be wise in your own eyes, but in all your ways acknowledge him. Nothing's changed in the world, Christian. This is how you approach life in general, is understanding that it is God who is at work, God who is redeemed, God who has strengthened you, God who guides you. Now, what are you supposed to be living for? Ding, 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 ding. To ask it the way we asked it in Sunday school this morning, who are you? Why are you this way? And how do you live in light of those things? misidentify any of those answers and you will find the potholes and destructions of life. Get them right and you will realize just how broken this world actually is. Um, Endeavor at your own peril. (laughs) Because sometimes the worst thing you can do is actually shine the light in the darkness and see what's in it. (laughs) You know, I was better off before I turned that light on and knew it was sitting in the corner. (laughs) But what do you need to do in this world? You need to know what the problems are, know how the world is attacking, know what is wrong, they're sneaking back in. <laughs> They'll make their way around. It's okay. 
know what's broken because, Christian, how do you encounter the brokenness and how do you avoid it infesting your life if you don't actually know what it is? What good does it do for you to know that there's a problem and go, no, 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 not going to think about it, not going to talk about it? I mean, say your basement floods. None of you have had that happen lately, right? (laughs) Some of you are crossing fingers right now. Water halfway up the side, you had some carpet down there, that's ruined, it's getting into your insulation. Does it do you any good to close the door to the basement and go, nope, not going to deal with that today? No, that'll be fine. What could possibly go wrong? It's not like the mold is going to grow and settle in and then climb up the walls and be everywhere in the house. And, you know, six months later, you're hacking up half a lung and sneezing. I don't know why I feel so bad when I go home. As soon as I get out of the house, I can talk like a normal human being. As soon as I walk back in the house, my sinuses don't work anymore. Well, gee, I don't know, maybe the big giant mold problem below your house that you've been ignoring for how long? You can't live like that. You can't do it. You have to deal with the problem the way that it is. Once again, we've, we've used this silly example before. I mean, should I just throw on my bathing suit and go for a run because it's a nice, wonderful, sunny, hot day today? That's just dumb. I can root for those days. I can want those days so I can spend time outside. But if I go do that today, I'm going to get pneumonia and die. <laughs> Bad plan. I have to live in the world the way that it is, acknowledge the problems for what they are, and try to solve them where they are, which means recognizing them for what they are, calling them what they are, and then dealing with them appropriately so that they don't attack me on a constant basis. I know the truth. Therefore, I am set free by the truth because I can see this world rightly because I have seen it in light of who God is and what he has commanded. Verse 5, Job continues, I have heard of you by hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. In other words, Job's knowledge of who God is is deeper. It's one thing to hear about something. It's another thing to lay your own eyes on it. Like, Let's be honest. How many of you believe in Bigfoot? Somehow I knew that hand was going to go up. <laughs> Somehow I just, I just had a feeling. You ever met somebody who has claimed to see Bigfoot? See, oh, it's exciting. Because the story doesn't make any sense, but you cannot, they can't not believe it. You know why? They saw it. It's like the alien abduction stories, which is always like a trailer park in Kentucky. I don't know why. Apparently, tornadoes and aliens like trailer parks. If you can figure out why those two things are the case, you can write a book, give me a little bit of research credit, and we'll all make money. Sound good? Okay, good plan. <laughs> but like alien abduction stories, no matter what you try to say, well, there was nothing in the sky that day, you were at home, we have video, be like, no, I saw it. You can't convince me otherwise. That's what Job is saying. I used to think about it, I used to know, but now I I know, I have seen, I know the truth, I cannot possibly deny it. This is going to influence how I think about the world from this day forward. Christian, same thing should be true for you as well. The same thing should be true for you as well. First Peter chapter 2. Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. You can't forget those two ideas go hand in hand. Does the person who is ignorant in their understanding and the hardness of their heart care about the kindness of the Lord and the truth of Scripture? No, because they have not tasted of the kindness of the Lord. They have not seen that it is the kindness of the Lord that brings them to repentance. They don't care because they have not experienced who God is and what he has done about their sin. You have. 
you have. Remember that. Who are you? Why are you? What do you do about those two things? It's not just an understanding of right and wrong. See, this is the mistake we make with children, and then we never get out of it because we do this to ourselves too. Why don't you do that? Because it's wrong. Okay, but what does that mean? What do you mean? Well, I was told not to do that. It's bad. I don't do that. Why not? What makes it bad? What's wrong with it? What is right on the other side of it? These are the conversations we don't ever get past, and we do this with kids, and then we do this to ourselves as adults, is I just don't do that. Why not? I'm serious. Why not? Now, all of a sudden, you're 50, you're like 50 years old looking around one day going, well, that's wrong. Why? Because I was told it was wrong, and everybody knows that it's wrong, but why is it wrong? You have to be able to articulate why you are living the way that you're living. The why always matters. Because if you don't articulate why that's wrong, guess what you can't articulate? Why this is right. They go together. Christian, what's the goal of the world? To look into the world and say, I have walked through the darkness unstained by its evil. I am a good person. Or is the goal to actually shine the light? To say, that is sin, that is iniquity, but there is a better way. To walk against sin or to walk in righteousness. To then proclaim that righteousness. To then disciple others and encourage them as they walk the same righteous path. I can't do that if I can't actually tell you why I'm doing this. It's like, why do you go the way that you go to work? I mean, there's, there's a reason why you go that way. And it's not just because I don't go that way. It's because I like this light cycle better, or I stop at this coffee shop, or I go by that gas station. There's a reason you go this way. Christian, that's your life in Christ. There's a reason you walk this way. There's a reason you don't walk that way. Think about it. Understand it so that you can articulate not just what is wrong, but why it's wrong. Because you have seen the goodness of God. You understand the work that he has accomplished. Therefore, you grow in wisdom. You grow in the knowledge of the Holy One. You grow in the fear of the Lord, and you can explain what that growth looks like. And my nose is going to give me it. Sorry, I know you don't care. Nobody asked, but this is what happens. (laughs) Sorry. This is the why of your living. This is the thing that separates you from them. Paul builds on this again. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. He can't understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. This is the foundation for how you live, thinking through the world in godliness so that you can then instruct, build, and know the truth. Skip any of these steps and then try to explain to yourself why you are here, why you are not there, and why you are against that thing. Because this is the mistake that we always make. Well, we as Christians are against X. Just whatever, put, you know, pick your... Your, uh, your sin du jour that the media has decided is the thing we're going to celebrate this month and, and put that in X's place. Why are we against it? <laughs> See, that's something you need to be able to understand and articulate because you don't want to just stand there and go, that's wrong, that's bad. No, what is good? What is right? We're not just walking away from that. We're walking towards something good. This is one of those rules for life. You ready? Okay. 
Rules for life that I try to teach my children, that I try to live by. Never, ever, ever trust an organization that only exists to be against something. I'm serious. Like, if you only exist because you are against that thing, whatever that thing may be, your organization is doomed. Because you have no actual founding and guiding principle. You only exist to be against that. You're not actually for anything else. And this is true for things you don't like and, th- and true for things you do like. I used to use the example, um, this, this won't mean anything to most of you guys, but there is, a, there is a splinter organization that formed back in the 90s from the Southern Baptist Convention called the Cooperative, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And they have had nightmare problems with leadership and figuring out who they are and what they do because, do you know why they exist? Because we're not Southern Baptists. Well, but, but what do you actually believe in? The stuff they don't. <laughs> you're, you're not for anything. You're only against that thing. When you only exist to be against something, you have no actual foundation. What does the world constantly do to you? How does it try to pit arguments and discussions? Everyone's, you're against this, you're against it. No, 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 I'm actually for things. I'm actually building things based on a foundation of who God is and what he has called us to. Therefore, I'm not just against that. I'm actually for something else. Perfect example. You ready? Here's, a, here's one you like. I trust almost none of the national um, uh, anti-abortion groups. I trust almost none of them. You know why? Because they only exist to be against abortion. They don't actually exist to be for anything else. Christian, why does the church like abortion? Because we are actually for the dignity and value of human life. How do we get painted and how do we argue so often? That's bad! No, 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 no! See, life made in the image of God is good and it is holy and it is righteous in his sight to honor and uphold the image of God in his creation. Therefore, we are against the killing of people because we are for humanity because it is made in the image of God. So we, how many, let's be honest, how many times have you seen the debate on a news channel where that's the argument? Never. See the protest signs. What are they always? There's always a picture of like a six-week-old fetus, you know, on a sign, and you don't, you don't even want to look at it because it's horrifying. And you're like, I'm with you guys, but come on. It, because it's never actually for something. It's always just against something. And then the saddest part about that is because you're only against something, you exist to propagate that something. So you do realize that when it comes to the state legislatures, a lot of times one of the most... Um, one of the biggest lobbying groups against, uh, uh, my brain will not form a sentence right now, I'm sorry. Um, one of the groups that typically lobbies the hardest against state legislation that would outlaw abortion is the National Right to Life. Because they can't fundraise off of abortion if abortion is illegal. So they don't actually like laws that would make abortion illegal. <laughs> because they only exist to do what? To be against that thing. Which means if that thing goes away, what are we? We're gone. We don't exist anymore because we only exist to be against that thing. Don't trust any organization ever that is against something and not for something. Do with that as you will. Terms and conditions may apply. Your mileage may vary, just as always is the case. You have to live in a world not just against your sin, but live in a world that is for the righteousness of God. 
live in a world that is building upon the foundation of the things of God so that you are discipling yourself and those to whom God has given you influence so that you can understand what you are building and why you are building. So Job lands on verse 6 with his last good phrase, Therefore I retract and I repent in dust and ashes. (laughs) Go team! That's where we wanted Job to be the whole time, but fun little note, don't miss the picture here. Because if you go back, um, Job 2, Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job. We have a good smiting today. There you go. He smote Job with sores and boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And Job took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. (laughs) And remember, while doing that, his friends traveled and sat down with him. And I'd like to think they cleaned him up a little bit, but it never says that, so... I always have this mental image of Job arguing with his friends sitting amongst the ashes, you know, still scraping the boils off. And now what is he going to do? I'm going to repent in dust and ashes, which repenting in dust and ashes would be symbolic of taking the ashes and pouring them on your head as a symbol of your repentance. But Job's been sitting in dust and ashes the whole time. <laughs> so, so while he was physically in the dust and the ashes, he was spiritually at the mountaintop. Now he is spiritually where? where he always is supposed to be. He's actually in the right place now. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's James 4. What did Jesus tell you? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. You think you're great, You think you're first in the kingdom. You know what that probably says about you, right? You ever meet somebody who's be like, I'm awesome at Christianity. I am nailing this. I will be first in the kingdom. You know they're not actually in the kingdom, right? (laughs) Because nobody who actually understands who God is and what he has done would actually dare say that out loud. I mean, you might think it on occasion, but you wouldn't actually say it. (laughs) Not that that's any better, but you, you know what I mean. Because there's no humility there. There's no repentance there. There's greatness. There's accomplishment. There's blessings from God because of me and my awesomeness. No, that's not where you're supposed to be. What's Job's argument been this entire time? I was right. God has wronged me. I demand a hearing. Oh, God showed up. My bad. No, no, no. I was wrong. I'm going to sit over here and be quiet because that's where I am supposed to be. Pages are sticking together. Humidity is fun, isn't it? Verse 7. So it came about, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, you know if you're Eliphaz, you're probably not looking forward to this, right? (laughs) Probably not fun, right? My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. And all God's people said, amen. (laughs) Because let's be honest, have any of Job's friends got this right? No. Have you not wanted some good wrath kindling and smiting of these three guys for about 25 chapters? Yes, yes, you have, because you're a bad person too. It's okay. By the way, this is also why there are warnings in Scripture. Things like James 3, that let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. This goes back to my previous point. Don't just know what you're against and why it's wrong. Know what is Right, so that when you encounter your Job, oh, I just did that, didn't I? That was bad. Okay, and there we go. (laughs) 
when you encounter your struggles, when you encounter your struggling friends, when you encounter your problems in life, you actually have a foundation that is built on so you can tell them who God is, tell yourself what he is doing and why you can actually be encouraged because you know what is right and you know what is being accomplished day by day. Now, fun little note here. Did this jump out at anybody else? My wrath is kindled against you and against your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. <laughs> now, is that Job from the previous chapters or Job from verses 1 through 6? See, nobody wants to give an answer because nobody wants to be wrong. <laughs> I'm doing a good job because everybody's like, I am definitely certain that I'm not sure and I don't want to be the one who was told I was almost right. <laughs> So you guys are all saying verses 1 through 6. You know what I think the answer is? Yes. Because do we demand perfection? Will you be saved because you can perfectly and properly articulate the doctrine of the Trinity? And if you, like, you're going to get to the pearly gates, Peter's going to be sitting there and be like, all right, let me have it. Systematic theology on the Trinity, go. Oh, see, you were so close, but see, that vowel's in the wrong place. To hell with you! I mean, that's not how this actually works. Although if it did, you'd buy tickets, wouldn't you? <laughs> you'd be like, oh, this is going to be a good one. He thinks he's really smart. Watch, 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 watch. Give me the popcorn. <laughs> no. Is this about your perfect explanation of how the substitutionary atonement covers your sins? Can you explain the penal substitutionary theory of the atonement? <laughs> how about the hypostatic union you got this one right how jesus is fully god and fully man see you want to be able to give a dissertation on those right no you don't you'd be like I, I get the concepts i understand and by the way i'm not picking on you and this is not made to meant to make you feel sillier and like you don't know things my point is you know in accordance with the knowledge you have acquired in accordance with the reading that you have done and that's okay that's good from this point forward, you should be doing what? Building on that, constantly learning, constantly growing, constantly working out your salvation with fear and trembling, always building on the knowledge base that you currently have. When is it too late to start building on that knowledge? Never. You can start today. We can read, we can understand, you can pray for wisdom, you can work through all of these things. That's the goal. But realize that your standing in the kingdom is not dependent on the fact that you can write out or explain perfectly all of these little doctrinal things. Your standing in the kingdom is based upon the fact that Christ died for you that your sin has been covered by the blood of Christ and that God is pleased with his son's work and you now stand blameless in his sight. That is why Job has spoken rightly both now in chapter 42 and in previous chapters. Remember, we pointed this out as Job went through. I hate God. God is mad at me, but I know that my Redeemer lives and at the end I will live in his kingdom. <laughs> Dude, what, what, what was that? Like, I'm mad at him, I want judgment, I want him to leave me alone, but I can't not worship. I mean, this, this doesn't make any sense. Of course it doesn't make any sense. Job was not grounded in the wisdom of God, therefore he was a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. And yet you see the work of the Spirit flying through. You've never had that experience? Where you're like, you, you thought of a Bible verse, or you thought of advice, and you're like, where did that come from? <laughs> well, that's something that had been put in there years ago, and the Holy Spirit was like, this is why we need this. Bam! It's like that draw, it's like that draw five or whatever card in Uno, the Holy Spirit's just like, pow, we got him. That was the thing we needed right when we had it, and now we're good. You guys play Uno, right? It's fun with kids, and you 
I finally got Uno cards, and Connor and Jada tormented me. And oh, they hit me with the draw fours like 17 times. I kid you not, I had 28 cards in my hand. I counted because they they were keeping a tally for the record. I was actually holding them all in one hand. <laughs> my I was cramping. It's like I need to get rid of these because I can't move my fingers. But anyway, no, I mean. <laughs> so some of you are like, I have been there, I've done that, and I hate my children for it. <laughs> Not that that matters. That work, though, that carrying forward by the Holy Spirit is why Job is where he is. It's not because of his brilliance or his wisdom. It's not because of this great understanding of repentance in chapter 42. It's because God has redeemed him. That is why he stands. That is the only reason why he stands. Job's biggest problem was not unbelief. Job's problem was not that he was lost forever. Job's problem was he was in pain. And that pain was warping his understanding of the world and his perspectives on God. Godly wisdom and counsel should have corrected this. It didn't because he didn't receive any. When his perspective was righted, the pain suddenly seemed different, not because it went away, but because it was viewed rightly. In other words, perspective was restored. So what are we going to do before Eliphaz and friends get smited? Verse 8. Now therefore, take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves, and my servant Job will pray for you. For I will accept him, so that I may not do to you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So Job gets to stand in the gap and be the intermediary for his friends. Have we seen that before with Job? Job 1, when the days of feasting had completed their cycle, Job would send and consecrate them, rising up early in the morning, offering burnt offerings according to their number of them all. For Job said, perhaps my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. This is again what Job has always been about, an understanding that it is God who redeems, that it is God who justifies, and therefore he is calling upon God by the sacrifices. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, remember shortest man in the Bible, and Zophar the Namathite went and did as the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job. Now this is a picture of the work of the mediator, because I want to make sure we point this out. So the three friends, see if you catch this. The three friends are not going to die. They are not going to be smited by God because God has accepted the sacrifice of Job, right? Right? What did I say? <laughs> I said he's accepted that God has accepted the sacrifice of Job. Is that why they're not going to die? No. God didn't accept the sacrifice of Job. God accepted Job. Abel and his sacrifice were accepted. Cain and his sacrifice were rejected. Moses stands in the gap for the Israelites. Joseph stands on behalf of his family and redeems them. Christ stands before the Father on your behalf. This is not about the sacrifice. This is about the people as they stand before God that God has accepted the people based on his grace and mercy and the sacrifice that he himself will offer. Psalm 51. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, 
a broken and a contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. This is once again why I tell you to understand what you are building in life, what you are standing on, and what you are living for. God is not accepting of you in his kingdom because you rejected those sins. God is not accepting of you in his kingdom because you forsook those things. God is accepting you in his kingdom because you stand in Christ. Those things are secondary. Those sacrifices that you are making for your righteousness are secondary. They are not why you will stand before God. It's not like, well, you do that and God's going to smack you. Well, maybe you deserve to be smacked, but that's not the point that we're making. You are accepted. You are accepted because of Christ's accomplishment. Not based on your merit, based on his. And you are therefore living for the kingdom that God is building. You are living for something, not just against something else. This matters in how you see the world. Because again, if you only stand against something, you're eventually going to get broken down. Stop me if you've seen this before in the world. Is the world decides that we would like to make this sin acceptable. So what they do is they take that sin and they just shove it in your face right away, right? No, 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 they don't. No, they don't. No, they don't. They take the idea that this sin is based upon and they shove that in your face until you just think that the idea is normal. The idea is okay. It's not terrible. It's not bad. This is okay. And it's just something that is. And then when the idea has taken root and you're no longer thinking against it or you're no longer arguing against it, then we'll begin to talk about the working out of that idea. We'll begin to talk about what that idea might look like if it was implemented in practice. And then after we've talked about it for a sufficient amount of time, then we'll begin to bring the idea and the actual practice of that sin slowly into culture, slowly before you, just a little at a time, just little by little. And then when you've gotten used to seeing it over here and over there, well, now you just kind of start seeing it what? More and more and more. Next thing you know, you're like, how did we get here? Well, the camel's nose came under the tent all the way back there. And we weren't paying attention because all we were was we were against that thing. We weren't paying attention to the idea that underlies it because we weren't actually for something. We were just against that. And so we didn't actually pay attention to the thing that slid in and when we weren't looking. This is the plan. This is the plan on how everything runs in the world. This is how all of the things in culture that you don't like, all of the things in culture that are an abomination before God, are just slowly worked in. Because too often we're just against something and not actually standing for anything. Know what you believe, know why you believe it, and know what that means for how you live in this world in light of that. And then remember, Christian, always, that it is not your standing, it is not your goodness, and it is not always your fight. It is Christ's righteousness. It is your surrender, and it is his building up that carries you home. And realize that even if you lose battles day by day, it is his good work that will bring you to a good end. So, let's finish up. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he prayed for his friends, and the Lord increased all that Job had twofold. All his brothers and all his sisters and all who had known him before came to him, and they ate bread with him in his house, and they consoled him and comforted him for all the adversities that the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him one piece of money and each a ring of gold. 
we finally get somebody who's like, hey, let's actually help Job out. Let's actually bring some comfort and see if we can get the man back on his feet. What a novel idea. Well, it, it is a novel idea because we had to wait because it wasn't time for Job to receive that. Always remember that these things work on God's time, not yours, whether you like it or not. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. It's not time. It's not time. So what do I do in the meantime? I walk faithfully. I trust his building up of his kingdom. I know that he is working out my salvation. He is working for his glory and for my good in the building up of his kingdom. So the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, and he had 14,000 sheep and 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. He had seven sons and three daughters. He named his first Jemima, nothing to do with pancake syrup, the second Kezia, and the third Karen Hapuk. So I got to say, make sure I say Karen because we don't want to say Karen. That would be bad. Everybody would immediately just think of a pumpkin spice latte. Nobody wants that. In all the land, no women were found so fair as Job's daughters, and their father gave them an inheritance among their brothers. And by the way, just fun little thing, the, uh, the actual name meanings there of the three girls, because they're named, so I assume there's a reason for that. Um, direct meanings are things like dove, spice tree, and horn of makeup. <laughs> But that's if you literally, if you translate them literally, if you actually take what the meanings are, peace, soothing aroma, and beauty. Gee, Job, I wonder what you were thinking about in life. Gee, Job, as you were raising this group of children, I wonder what your goal was. Was it to celebrate the work of God and rejoice in his workings? I think so. After this, Job lived 140 years. I don't know if that makes him lucky or not. And saw his sons and his grandsons four generations, and Job died an old man full of days. This is a fitting conclusion. Because do you think Job had a different perspective on his sheep and his oxen and his camels and his family in chapter 42 than he had in chapter 1? I would. I would think it's a much different perspective. This is, again, Christian, why you don't forsake and try to immediately forget every bad thing that's ever happened to you. You need that wisdom. You need to remember the scars and why you have them so that you can look at the world in light of God carrying you through and so that you can look at the world as you are building in God's kingdom and say, this is who he is. This is what he has accomplished. This is the path you should walk in here is... Why? Focused on the right thing. Now, the second fun part about this, Job 17. My spirit is broken. My days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. <laughs> that was Job's lament, that he was ready to die which day? That one. He lived 140 years. <laughs> <laughs> This is always one of those lessons. I think I mentioned this on Wednesday. One of my favorite little unintentional humor moments in Scripture is, you remember why Isaac wanted to go ahead and hurry up and bless Esau, don't you? Because he was old and about to die. Realize that Isaac lived like another like 25 plus years. I'm old and about to die, boy. Go get me some food so I can give you the blessing of God and then I can die in peace. I remember that day I was going to die in peace 20 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. You have 
No idea. We define what a life well lived is. We define what a life blessed by God is. And we use the wrong standards so often. We use the wrong standards because we end up getting pulled down into the muck and the mire of this place. Psalm 90 says, Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due to you? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. We let the world warp our perspective because we let the world warp our patience and our hope and change it into things that it shouldn't be and focus on the things that we shouldn't even be worried about when our hope should be set upon God and our lives built upon the promises that he has given, recognizing the accomplishment that Christ has brought because they are secure in him. And because of that, we end up seeing what success and goodness and long life and full years, and we end up seeing them so, so wrongly. I mean, if I could give you a hundred years without God, would you take that over 20 years with him? But when we live our lives... How often do we plan for things? How often do we assume things? How often do we build our wisdom on the things of this world rather than on the things of the kingdom? How often do we define our success? How often do we define our goals and our blessings as things that are here rather than things that are in eternity? We forsake that simple conversation because I don't want to deal with that. I'm doing something important. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not because I'm not either. Because we don't want to take the time out of our day because it's whose day? My day. It's important because I'm doing it. Maybe. Maybe not. Stop. What are you living for? And how does your life line up in light of that? That's where your priorities line up. That's where your priorities are truly found. Are you building things that are here where God, if he loves you, will take them away? Or are you building these things so that they are a blessing in eternity, so that the kingdom is richer, so that God's people are more numerous in number because of the blessings of his word that you have shared, because of the wisdom that you have gleaned from your sufferings and trials? How is your life being lived, and for what end is it headed? We don't think about that until we start getting way too old to be thinking about that. When's the time to start? Now. When's the time to build on the knowledge of God? Now. When's the time to build on the prayers and the communion we spend with God? Now. When's the time to build on the discipleship work that we are doing? Now. Why? Because of who he is and what he has done. Because he is bringing us to a good end accomplished by his good work, and we can trust him because, once again, of who he is and what he has done. Let's pray.